Stand up with me. I want to start with a prayer. Let the little ones be able to get out for a moment there. And let's uh, give our attention to the Lord. We want to welcome you that are uh, joining. Every week we have a number that join us online uh, for a service for whatever reason. And we're so grateful to have you with us that are watching online. We want to pray together and invite uh, the presence of the Lord in this message and his help to us now. Let's talk to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you that we can gather every every week with people who love you and people who need you. And we love you and we need you. And we like it that way. And we need you even in this, uh, in this hour that as we assemble as a church, you would speak through your word to our hearts because there are so many things that, Lord, you... Uh, that you desire in us that we want to give you and you have made them possible through the work that your Holy Spirit does through your word and through the preaching of the word. Anyway, today, um, as we're here in, in church, we're, we're going to talk here about uh, being generous like you are. And Lord, I pray that uh, in this talk that you would help us through your word to learn a whole new level of uh, having a generous spirit and being a generous soul. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And be seated. So years ago, I was on a pastoral uh, visit to a guy whose name was uh, Reggie Smith. And Reggie lived over by Lake Michigan, and so it was a, a pleasure to drive over to his house on an autumn afternoon. And I know it was the time of the salmon run because I, when I went across the White River, the, the fishermen were all in there in the, in the river, and they were fishing. It was just a beautiful fall day. And when I got over to Reggie's house, he, has a, he was an engineer and he had a little shop out back and I would always go out to visit him out there in his shop. And when I want, went out to his shop, I noticed that on one of the tables there was a big box sitting on the table and the box was full of fresh picked apples from an orchard that one of his neighbors had. And they were beautiful gala royal apples, they were really a nice fresh apple. And he saw me looking at them. And so he says, take one, they're the best apples ever. And I and I took one of those apples and I stood there in, the, in, the, uh, in his drive and I ate that apple on an autumn afternoon. It, it was so good it inspired poetry. You want to hear it? Thank you. <laughs> B wants to hear it. You guys can just listen in. Um, here, here's what I wrote. I wrote, an apple is a miracle. It's a marvel. It's a wonder of God's creative power. In the three or four minutes it takes to eat an apple, on an autumn afternoon, you've experienced the patience of winter snows, the promise of springtime blossoms, the product of warm summer days and a, and a piece of autumn in the palm of your hand, and it all comes from a tiny seed. Reggie uh, and I stood there that day and, and, and ate those apples, and, and then he um, walked over to the box. He went back in his little shop, and he got a, he got a small box. And he came back out with that small box and he set it on the table and he started to take apples out of the big box and put them in the small box. And I thought, oh, I know what he's going to do. This is, um, this is an ancient pastoral rite. You go visit people, they give you garden produce. You might want to remember this. Anyway, and so, uh, just kidding. And so, he, oh, I see what he's doing. He's going to give me apples. And he did. He took the apples out of the box and he filled this little box with apples. But then he didn't give them to me. He took the little box and he went out of sight, went back to his office, and he left the little box in his office. Then he walked over, and he picked up the big box, and he walked out to the back of my van, 
And he said, open up, I want to give you these. And he gave me the big box of apples. And all the way home, I ate those apples, threw the core out the window, which I don't think you're supposed to preach about doing. But anyway, I, I ate those apples. They were so sweet. And I thought to myself, I want to be a generous soul. I want to be a generous soul like Reggie. Do you want to be a generous soul? That's what we're going to talk about today. How to be a generous soul. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. This is a very sweet text of Scripture that I think that you will enjoy studying together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, four ways to be a generous soul. Let me show you the first way. The first way to be a generous soul, number one, is to learn the laws of the harvest. Learn the laws of the harvest. Um, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to a church, and he's encouraging them to, to give. And the giving is a benevolent offering to people that are in Jerusalem that are going through a very, very hard time. So it's like giving to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are long ago in a, or who are far away in a faraway place that are different than you, but they're in great need. And he's uh, encouraging them to give. That's kind of the, the, the setup here. And here's what he says in verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly, that means sow like, you know, plant. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's the first thing that Paul says. And to learn to have a generous soul you want to understand what he said. Those are, it's kind of like the laws of the harvest. Here's the way I heard someone say it once. The laws of the harvest are these. First of all, you will reap what you sow. Have you heard this? You will reap what you sow. The scriptures sometimes use this in a bad context and sometimes use this in a good context. If you sow bad things, you reap these bad things. If you sow good things, you reap good things. That's the first law of the harvest. You, you reap what you sow. And then the second law of the harvest is that you reap after you sow. You reap after you sow. You may or may not reap an immediate harvest from what you sow. It may be a while that you wait and then you see. And some of our harvesting is going to be done in eternity, which in a way is good because if it's in eternity, it'll never be taken away from you. But you reap what you sow, law of the harvest number one, law of the harvest number two, you reap after you sow. And then maybe you've heard this too. The third law of the harvest is you reap more than you sow. You reap more than you sow. You, you sow a few seeds and you get, a, you get a large crop. And so what Paul is saying to the people to encourage them to have a generous soul is he's saying that, that you're giving to, to others, in this case, your giving heart, it should be like a farmer plant seed. Plant a lot of it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to increase and you're going to have a great harvest. And that can be true about giving money and that can be true about giving of your service. And uh, I, on a Saturday, I went out to visit a lady who had, who had uh, shown some interest in our church. Her name was Lori Strickland. I remember that. And it was a cold winter day and I, I visited her on a Saturday. And I, uh, I said, you know, we have a Sunday school for your children and you really ought to come and visit our service. I think you really like it. And she says, I promise I will. A lot of times people promise them they don't come because the devil goes to work on them, you know. She woke up in the morning, cold morning, her furnace wasn't working. So she called this furnace guy that she found in the phone book. And she said, I was going to go to church today, but my furnace broke down. So I wonder if, uh, would you charge me, are you going to charge me extra because it's Sunday? He said, were you, you said you were going to go to church today, 
but your furnace broke down? She said, yes. He says, well, I'll make you a deal. He says, you get ready for church and you go to church and I will fix your furnace. And, but you got to go to church. So Lori says, okay, it's a deal. So Denny goes over to her house and fixes the furnace. Lori gets her children, gets dressed, goes to church. Guess what? When she came in that church, our church, and she sat down over here on this aisle, guess who was sitting across the aisle over there? Denny. She had no idea that the furnace guy she called, and he had no idea that the lady that he was helping, that they were both going to be in the same church that day. Not too many months after that, it was my privilege to baptize Lori Strickland and after she came to know the Lord. Her husband was an unbeliever, um, and he, we never got him to, a, 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 to, to we, he attended once on Father's Day, uh, but he didn't come to know the Lord. We, we had a Sunday night service then, and a number of months later, I remember, they had moved to Florida, and the door of the church opened up during the service on a Sunday night, and Lori Strickland came in, and her children came in, and her husband came in, and it was kind of cute because he had a suit on, and he had a big Bible under his arm, and I thought, he came to know the Lord, and sure enough, he went down to Florida, and some faithful people witnessed to him, and he came to know the Lord. But a part of that was there was a guy who on a Sunday morning gave of his time and effort to fix the furnace of a person. He sowed into her life. Don't you love that? When I hear stories like that, I want to be that furnace guy. Don't call me to fix your furnace because that probably won't work out very well for you. But I would say, you know, I want to be that guy. I want to have that, that kind of a spirit. So the first law of the harvest, the first uh, way to become a generous soul is to learn the laws of the harvest. That's how it works. The second way to, to, to be a generous soul is to learn the spirit that God loves. Learn the spirit that God loves. Look at verse 7 and you'll see the spirit that God loves. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And here's, here, here it is. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, imagine it's Christmas time and your, your, your husband or your, or your wife or your child bought you a gift and you opened it and, and you, your, lips, your lip trembled and a, a tear formed in your eye and you said, this is the most thoughtful thing. Thank you so much. And then they said to you, well, you know, it's Christmas time and, you know, if I didn't get you a gift, I would look bad. Then you would not be crying anymore. You wouldn't be crying for the same reason. Like, wow. Because you love a cheerful giver too, right? You want somebody who gives to you because their heart wants to please you. God wants us to give to one another. God wants us to be generous souls because it pleases his heart. If you want to please the Lord, that's one of the ways you please the Lord. I have a friend whose name is Ken Krause and, and um, Ken was, uh, called him this week because he's one of the guys that I will usually call on Thanksgiving week and tell him I never go through Thanksgiving week without thinking of all the things that you did to help me. When we ran that big hotel, Christian ministry, we needed people that could fix things. And God sent Ken Krause, and he just fixed things. And he was a blessing to me, and he was a help. When we left that ministry, Ken was a very sensitive guy. He realized that we sold all of our beds to go run this hotel and to live in a hotel. We, we didn't have any beds because we were going to move into a hotel, and there were plenty of beds in a hotel. So he was sensitive. He realized when we left that ministry, we didn't have any beds. And what had happened is we had a lot of expenses right then. So the older girls were working. We're like, okay, you buy your bed, you buy your bed, we'll buy our bed. But the little boys didn't have jobs, so they had to sleep on the floor. And uh, we were saving up money to buy them beds. And uh, I got a call from Ken. And he says, you know, I was thinking about you this week. Do you have beds for everybody? 
And I said, what, will, what would make you say that? He goes, well, I just remembered that when you moved to the, to the inn, you sold all your beds. And then when you left, you didn't take any beds with you. And uh, I just wondered if you needed beds. I go, well, we all got beds except for Dan and Wes. He goes, well, what are they doing? I go, well, we're, they're sleeping on the floor until we save up a little money and get some beds. The next Saturday, Ken called me on the phone and he says, uh, hey, he called me and he said, next Saturday, I want to take you and he loved Dan and Wes and they were little boys in the inn and he'd have them work with him. And, and, um, and he said, well, I'm going to come down. I want to buy you guys breakfast at Bob Evans next Saturday. And so I said, that'd be great. So he came down there the next Saturday and he had a truck and he had beautiful new beds, brand new box springs and mattresses, flannel sheets and pillows for my boys. And he put them down there in the, their room and he built the, he made those beds uh, for them. And um, I thought, you know, that's the generous, that's the kind of generous soul that I want to be. And the way he looked at it was, and he said to me, I said, Ken, you know, why would you do this? And he said to me, well, you remember what you taught me? You always said, you always want to pay attention to a generous impulse because it probably came from the Lord. He said, I had a generous impulse. So I just wanted to obey that. I uh, thank God for him. We were in church one day and I was the uh, interim pastor at uh, Byron uh, uh, Baptist Church in a little town called Byron up by Flint. And Hope was a little tiny girl then, just a little tiny girl, maybe four or five, four, I think. And we were passing the offering plate one morning. We're sitting over there in the front, the offering plate went by. Little Hope took the offering plate and then she turned to me and then she looked up at me and she said, Daddy, how does God get this money? And I said, well, I'll explain that to you after church. Now Hope knows, but she didn't know that. And I said, I'll explain it to you after church. The best explanation came a little while later when the girls all decided that they were going to go down to Kentucky and sing. And they were going to go on the mountains of Kentucky and sing at these churches. And they were singing at a church and the pastor took up an offering. One of my daughters, Heidi, took money out of her purse, gave it in the offering. Heidi said that after she gave the money in the offering, they got up and sang. And then after they got done singing, the pastor said, I feel like the Lord told me to take the offering and give it to these girls. And I said, oh, that's how God... That's how God gets the money, is that you give to God without knowing God gives back to you, and you're one of his children. The way you give to God is you give to people he loves, and God credits that to your account. That when you look, when you, when you give in his name, and you give on his behalf to someone in his name as an expression of your love and obedience to him, that's the spirit that he loves. And that money is as if you're giving that money to God. That's how God gets the money. Incidentally, when Hope went off to Bible college, we were kind of between churches. And we were in a season of time that was very lean for us, praying for every dime we had. And we realized that she would need to have a car when she went to school. And so we figured we're going to set aside $1,000, give it to her to buy a $1,000 car, which was going to be a really fancy car, right? So we got that $1,000 and it was almost our last $1,000 and it was, uh, and we gave it to Hope to go out there to, to buy a car. And we prayed and when she got out there, there was, a, there was a family that said, we bought a little Honda Civic because it was a good deal. And we thought, we're going to save this until we find somebody who needs it like a missionary or something. And we decided that we wanted you to have it. So they gave her that car and she sent the money back, which was good because we were out of money. She sent the money back. And it was the answer to prayer. 
when we got to the end of her, te- her, her school out there, we didn't have the money to pay the last bill. We called the people that gave us the car. We said, we want to give you the car back. They said, no, we gave you the car. Sell it, and you can do with it whatever you want. So we sold the car. And um, actually, we, we put the car up for sale, and it didn't sell. And Hope's brother called the school and said, I want to pay Hope's last school bill. And then Hope's brother called her and says, when your car sells, give me the money. And uh, that's how God took care of that. So when that little girl took that offering plate and she said, how does God get the money? See, when we live in dependence on the Lord and when we, when we want to give to the Lord by helping other people, by being good to other people, by having a generous spirit, then we see that how God gives. It's such a beautiful thing. And we know that that pleases the Lord. So each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So how can I become a generous soul? Number one, I become a generous soul when I learn the laws of the harvest. Number two, I become a generous soul when, when I understand the spirit that God loves, that he loves a generous spirit. Here's a third thing, that how to become a generous soul. And I'm going to use a big, a big um, school word. I'm going to use a grammar word. I wouldn't normally do this to you, but I'm going to do it today because it's such a, a special word. Learn the superlatives of grace. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what's a superlative? I know this because I wrote it down. A superlative is an adjective of comparison indicating the highest degree. In other words, it's a big word that God wants to use to help us to see how abundant his generosity is. Learn the superlatives of grace. The idea here that you're going to see in the text in a minute is this. God has promised that if he still has something for you to do and you give away some of your money or you give away some of your time or you give away some of your resources and he has something for you to do, he's able He's way over the top able to resupply you to serve him again. This is what you're going to see in the text. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. And God, and listen to all the superlatives that are used in this. There are so many. I think there are seven superlatives. You can count them and tell me I'm wrong later if you want to. God is, this is verse 8. We're in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 now. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. Isn't that beautiful? God is able to make all grace abound toward you, and, and, and so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing because, and he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's got to be one of the most beautiful texts in the Bible. He's able to make all grace abound toward you that you having all sufficiency for all things at all times can abound in the work of the Lord. You are not going to run out of money to do what God told you to do. God doesn't order things and not pay for them. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply, the great missionary Hudson Taylor said. God, if he wants you to do something, he can fund it. If he doesn't fund it, he doesn't want you to do it or he wants somebody else to fund it. But he is able to do that. 
This is what we want to have in our hearts. We want to have a, to be a generous soul. We want to say, I remember the laws of the harvest. You, sow, you, you reap what you sow. You reap after you sow. You reap more than you sow. And I want to have a spirit that pleases the Lord, a spirit of generosity. And I want to understand the superlatives of grace. And another way of saying that is I want to trust that God can resupply anything I give away. If, I give, if God leads me to give something away in ministry, I'm not talking about, you know, so that I can get a lot for, to consume it upon my own lust. James talks about that. That would be sinful. We're talking here about, God, I want to do something for you. I want to help somebody. And you put this on my heart. And he is able to supply you to do that. It's an interesting thing to watch when people devote their lives to this. Even a child can do this. You devote your life to being generous, to being a giver, to being a generous soul. And you decide there's something that you want to give to or this person that you want to help. And then you do that. Then you watch, if, you know, God can allow you to go through a season, a lean and difficult season. Sometimes he does that. Paul said that. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I mean, poor, I mean, Paul's in prison. That's poor, right? He says, also, I know how to abound. Sometimes God will call us to a season of poverty. And sometimes God will call us to a season of abundance. I know what you're thinking right now. Your Lord, I'm signing up for a season of abundance. You know, sign me up for that. That's not what the Bible teaches. You're not always in a season of abundance. But here's what the Bible does teach. He is able to make all grace abound to you, that you having all sufficiency for all that you need at every time, be able to abound in every good work he calls you to. He will fund your work for him. It's a wonderful thing to think about. Try him out on that. See what he will do. God is able. So we're not depending on what we can gather and hoarding what we can gather. We're depending on what God can supply. You're not depending on what you can hoard and gather. Though you should be wise with your money, you're depending, on, you're depending on what God can supply, and therefore you want to learn the superlatives of grace. In our marriage, we've always sort of felt like we had little income and lots of expenses and lots of kiddos and lots of responsibilities, and we, we, we wanted to be more generous. We wanted to be better givers. And this came to a head a number of years ago as God began to show me that this was the key text in the New Testament, I believe. This is the key text in the New Testament. In other words, here's what I really believe. If you were to come to me as a pastor and you were to say, I'm trying to decide what I should give to the church. I'm trying to decide how I, who I should give to, how I should give. It just If you could point me to a passage of scripture, this is the one I would point you to. This is the one. And God began to show me that my emphasis had been on a kind of a legal thing, like how much exactly does God demand that I should give? Oh my goodness, I haven't given enough. Oh, I, I've given enough this week. But that is not the emphasis of the New Testament at all. The emphasis of the New Testament is God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to resupply what you give and give cheerfully as you purpose in your own heart and give proportionately and, and give regularly. These are the things that the scriptures teach. As we begin to see that, Lois and I, uh, we're talking to each other and we agreed on this. And so maybe this was in about 2002, 2003, probably 2003. And we were in my study and I said, well, why don't we, why don't we get down on our knees and just tell God we're sorry that we haven't been better givers. And why don't we just tell God if he'll help us, we'll try to be more generous. And so she said, I think we should do that. So we took out chairs and we knelt down and we said, God, we're sorry that we haven't been better givers. We, could, we should have given a lot more than we have. Um, 
We just want to ask you, Lord, to help us be sowers. We want to be faithful at sowing and not just giving, but actually sowing, you know, seeing ourselves as giving as a part of God's work in the world for which he will resupply us if he wants to, right? So we got up off our knees and, you know, there was no glory dust and no gold flecks in the air, nothing like that. Um, but shortly thereafter, maybe even that week, I got a call from a pastor in Atlanta and he'd read some of my things online and he he read about a camp we'd gone to, Camp Barakel up north, and he said he liked what I read. So he didn't tell anybody, but he took his oldest son and he got on a plane, he and his son, and they flew to Saginaw, rented a car, drove to Camp Barakel. And they went to Camp Barakel. He was a millionaire, but he didn't tell anybody. African-American brother, a millionaire, he didn't tell anybody. The, the camp said to him, you can come if you want to, but you have to work. Um, while the campers, you know, that's how it works. If adults are here, they work and, and the campers camp. And he said, I'd be happy to do that. So he said to me later on, he said, you know, I thought Michigan was going to be cool. That was the hottest week of the year in Michigan. And they had me dig fence posts all week long. So this millionaire, African-American pastor guy, Nathaniel Bronner from the Ark of Salvation in Atlanta, dug post holes for Camp Barakel while his kid went to camp and he met with God. And then he called me on the phone and he said, I'd like you to come down and preach at the Ark of Salvation. I said, well, I'd love that because I'll fly you down. Well, that's kind of a big deal. Usually I just drive across town to preach. I get to fly somewhere. And uh, he said, if you'd like to bring your wife, you can. And so he flew Lois and I down to Atlanta and I preached three messages and um, had a delightful time with the people at the Ark of Salvation. And uh, <laughs> when I was done, he gave me $6,000 honorarium which is what should happen every time I speak somewhere, they should, $6,000. I thought, well, this is a little unusual. This is actually a lot unusual. It's a lot, a lot unusual. I, was, I went back out the car and I said to Lois, would you believe he gave me $1,000? She said, did he really? I was thinking about maybe holding them. But I, I, what we did is we took that money and we gave a large gift to the ministry we were involved in. And then I took this little box that I had, this little cardboard box. I had a little place off my office. It was a little, like I called it Narnia because it was like back in the wardrobe. And I put my box of money in there in Narnia. And whenever we would, some, we bought some things for ourselves and, and for others. And, and, but we had a little fund that we could do ministry with and, and we could give to people. And God let us be more generous. And you know, I just don't have that box anymore. But I want to tell you from that day to this, that box has never been empty. It just seems like God has been taking care of us and God has been letting us be a little bit more generous. And I gotta tell you, we're only in kindergarten, maybe first grade, and, and maybe you're a long, but I will tell you that God is faithful and he's good. These principles are true in the word. Even if you are a loser, even if you are, let, let me retract that. Even if you are incomplete in your obedience, even if you're only in first grade and you're like really old, God is still God and he is still faithful and he will still be the God who can resupply uh, your ministry if you're led to do that. You learn the superlatives of grace. I got a call from a Christian leader and he asked me, he, he had seen God at work in my life in these areas of uh, giving us, uh, meeting our needs and giving us an abundance for, for ministry. And he said, I have a conference. I'd like you to speak at this conference. And I would like you, I'll give you an hour. And I would like to, just to tell about this idea of being a sower. And he said, I'll give you an hour. So he flew me to uh, Texas and I spoke for an hour. And all it was was storytelling. 
just telling one story after another about how God had supplied our needs when we needed things. And then he said he wanted me to repeat that in Tennessee. And I said to him, well, if you're recording these and you want to make CDs of them, why don't I just tell another hour's worth of stories in Tennessee? He said, do you have another hour's worth of stories? I said, oh, I, I sure do. Uh, and it's not because I'm a good storyteller. It's not because I'm uh, uh, wordy. It's because God is so faithful and God is so good. Uh, can, I, can I tell you one? Uh, in a previous church, I uh, was trying to figure out ways to save money. And when we met with a budget, you know, committee, we were working on that. And one of the uh, line items on the budget was, was our conference expense as pastors. And I loved that conference expense. You know, you could go to a conference and, and it would be paid for and you could enjoy that. But I saw that as an area where we could save some money. And I hated to do it, but when the budget committee met, I said, well, I would be willing to give that up um, this year. I, I would appreciate it if you put it, you know, back in next year if you can. But, but I'd be willing to give that up if it's a, it's a way we could save money. And, and so the people said, fine, and they took it out. And then it was out for two or three years and... And so there was no money for conferences. Um, I was, uh, we had an event at our church, and uh, it was an outdoor picnic. And I went outdoors, and there was an elderly lady that was sitting under the shelter house, and I had never met her. So I thought it would be good to make her acquaintance. And I remember my dad telling me, you know, talk to people about what they're interested in. So I started, I thought to myself, I wonder what she's interested in. And I started talking to her. She started talking about Holy Land. I said, well, that's fascinating. I've always been interested in the Holy Land. I asked her if she knew Ray Vanderlaan. She said, no, I don't, but my brother goes to the Holy Land all the time, and he's been taught by Ray Vanderlaan. I'm like, you're kidding. So that was a rich vein of conversation that we had. And it was just interesting to talk to this lady about the Holy Land. And a couple of weeks later, she'd visited our church again, and on the way out, she shook my hand. And she said to me, you know, you and I were talking about the Holy Land. Would you be interested in going to the Holy Land? I'm like, well, I'm like, yeah, someday probably I'm going to do that. She goes, no, I'm serious. She says, I, I sit on a board of a foundation, and the foundation, you know, gives money uh, to good causes. And if you would like to, we would like to send you and your wife to the Holy Land. I have this vivid memory of being on Mount Arabelle in the Holy Land. And the tour guide gave us her Bibles. And he said, I want you to spread out. I don't want you to sit on rocks. I want you to look through the Gospel of Mark. I want you to notice all the geographical references. And I want you to look. You can see almost all of them from right here. And I remember looking up and seeing my, my wife over there and thinking about a little girl that was raised in Kentucky and her teeth rotted out before she was seven, eight years old because they didn't have any money. And she's sitting on a mountain in the Holy Land and looking at all the places that they told her about in vacation Bible school when she was a little girl. And she's married to a poor guy who doesn't even have any conference expense. But God sent us to the Holy Land. I could go on and on and tell stories about how God has provided for me. I had told two hours worth of those stories on those, uh, at those conferences. And that was before the Red Jeep journey where God supplied all of our needs even when we didn't have a job. And that was before the Granville Cottage, which is the house that we had. And, we're, and, and, the, and it was before Bittersweet Farm, which is the house that we have now, um, that God supplied for us, that he, God gave to us. And I'm just telling you that it, it, for a couple that, that is in first grade in giving and trying to be faithful to God and sorry that they haven't been more faithful, and God will be faithful to them and he will help them and he will help you. That's the way he is. I want to be a generous soul. 
And we're, we can be a generous soul when we remember the laws of the harvest. And we realize the spirit that God delights in, that generous, joyful spirit of giving and wanting to be a giver. And then when we understand the superlatives of grace, especially that God will always resupply, can always resupply. He will always resupply. If he's calling you to do something that costs something, he will supply what's needed for that. So I have a little extra time today. So let me tell you a couple more. I always wanted to go to seminary. Some churches won't let you be their pastor unless you'd been to seminary. And I uh, had a bachelor's degree, but I didn't have a seminary degree. And I always wondered, well, there's some churches that wouldn't even ask me, wouldn't even let me be their pastor if I didn't have some graduate work. But I didn't have the money for that. I hardly had the money to make my way through Bible school. And uh, maybe you remember one of my first talks here was a story about Lois and I breaking down on the way to Bible school and running out of money. And I thought, how am I going to get in the ministry? I can't even get an education. I was at a Bible conference once in February up in Grand Rapids. And uh, a guy was preaching. And while he was preaching, I felt the voice of the Spirit in my heart. And I thought it was the Lord, but I wasn't sure. So I took a little booklet out and I wrote down what I felt like God was telling me. I felt like God was telling me, you're going to get to go to seminary. And I thought, well... My bachelor's degree is not accredited. A lot of seminaries wouldn't even accept my bachelor's degree because it's not accredited. And I thought, well, it distinctly felt like God told me I was going to get to seminary. I thought, well, first of all, I'm not sure I can get accepted into seminary. And second of all, how in the world would a guy with eight kids pay for, it was seven kids at a time. How would a guy with seven kids pay for, no, it was eight. How would I pay for, <laughs> can't even keep track of that. Um, how am I going to pay for that? You know, we don't have extra money. And uh, I went to a Bible conference, uh, another Bible conference. Notice the pattern here. Um, at Moody, it was a pastor's conference. And while I was there, they made an announcement. They said the grad school is waiving the application fee this week. If you'd like to apply, it'll be free. I thought, why not? Actually, I applied to Grand Rapids and they turned me down because my bachelor's degree wasn't accredited. And they said I could be in the adult degree completion program. And I didn't want to go to college again. So I said, no. And then I applied at Moody. And a few weeks later, they accepted me. Which is very unusual because I've recommended lots of guys to Moody Seminary who were accepted at Dallas and not at Moody. But for some reason, I was accepted at Moody. So I went to the church and I said to the church, uh, I said, well, I've been accepted in the seminary. They go, how, how would you do that? And I said, well, it's a module thing. I would go, you know, a week at a time. And I remember the, the guys that were sitting there on the deacon board at First Baptist Church in Fremont. And they, they said, well, we, we'd be happy to give you that time off. That's just fine. And then one of the men, Jim Gorehouse, he, he's one of the kind of guys that usually waits to the last to talk. And then a lot of people do what he says. He says, well, men, he says, don't you remember when Pastor Pierpont came, we asked him why he didn't have seminary training, and we sort of expected that maybe he would continue. I think we should pay for it. Um, do, do I have any support for that? And all the guys said, yes. And then he said, what else do you have on your agenda? And they paid for my entire way through Moody Bible Institute Graduate School. Every time I got in my car, drove to Chicago, I handed him a check from the church, I paid my way. I remember in, when I was in college, I did dishes all night. But when I was in grad school, the church paid my way. They had ugly carpet up at that church, and I used to want to make fun of it. One day I was noticing that, and I thought about writing something on Facebook about how ugly the carpet was. And I thought, wait a minute. They paid my way through seminary. They could have bought new carpet. I think they made a great decision. And they were stubbornly resisted changing the carpet until I left. And then after I left, they changed it. I think they're just being rascals about that. 
God, God bless First Baptist Church in Fremont, Michigan for paying my way through seminary. That I, I could go on and on. I could tell you more and more things, but I will tell you this one. We have a family that comes here. They've gone south now for warm weather. The Litchards, they, before they left, though, they gave me a CD. I think it was called Miracle in the Mountains. Sounded cool to me. They said, you want to listen to this CD? I go, okay. So I got in my car and I took that CD and I put it in. I started listening to stories about a pastor in Miss, Mississippi that pastored a large church and he had a lucrative salary and he had, he had a car, a company car and all that stuff. He said he felt like he was up reading his Bible one morning. His wife was from, uh, I think, a place called Lynch, Kentucky, in near Hazard, Kentucky. And it was an old, it was a coal mining town that, that shut down, that kind of went through extreme poverty because the coal mine shut down. But his wife was from that town. He was having devotions one morning. He's reading his Bible and he felt like the Lord said to him, quit your church and go to that town. He was distinctly felt it was the Lord telling him to do it. So he quit his church, he gave up his salary, his homeless cars, turned them all back in, and he moved to his wife's hometown, Lynch, Kentucky, with no job, with no income, in a little uh, half a little row house that, his, that, his, that he'd inherited, his wife had inherited from her family, a little tiny uh, house. He said that he felt like the Lord told him buy hedge trimmers because the people had let their hedges go along Main Street, and he bought these hedge trimmers for $25. And he went up and down the street trimming hedges for people for free just to beautify the town and be a blessing and to be a testimony. But he just felt like that's what the Lord told him to do. He said one day a lady rolled up in a Cadillac and she said to him, are you the guy that trimmed the hedges down there? He said, yeah. She says, well, I don't take charity and that was my house and I'm going to pay you. And he says, no. He said, I did it. I did it for free. And she says, well, I'm going to leave $100 here and you can let it blow away in the wind if you want to. And he said, well, I'm a Baptist preacher, so I took it. He said before that, a guy had called him on the phone and had asked him, he said, you know, I need $75. And the pastor said to him, well, you know, I don't have $75, but what I'll do is I'll pray. And if God gives me $75, I'll give it to you. Well, this lady gave him $100 and he's on his way back in the house. He thought, hmm, I promised that guy, if God gave me $75, then I would give it to him. So he gave that $75. He gave $75 of the $100 to that guy. And then he said, he felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to him, and I paid for your tremors too because they were $25. That's just a beautiful story, isn't it? I love that story. He told one story after another about God providing amazing things. I love this story so much. And my wife's from Kentucky. I, I went home and I said to Lois and to Hope, I said, I want to take you guys out to dinner. I want you to get in the car. We're going to drive for 45 minutes and I want you to listen to this. And then we're going to have something to eat. And that night we got out in the car and put that little tape, that little CD in and listen to the story. It's just the same thing. When God moves on your heart to do some ministry, he, remember the superlatives of grace. He's able to make all gifts abound to you, all grace abound to you. That you always, having all sufficiency at all times for all things, can abound in every good work he's called you to. Isn't that awesome? That's just beautiful. There are four points to my message, and I wouldn't want to shortchange you today. So the fourth one is this, to learn the ultimate objective Learn the ultimate objective. And the ultimate objective is that people would know the Lord and give him thanks. 
So this is why here it is Thanksgiving weekend and before Thanksgiving, we talked about you giving thanks. Now, after Thanksgiving, we're talking about how you can inspire other people to give thanks because this is the way God wants it to happen. The ultimate goal is not to meet the needs of people. That's a wonderful thing to do. The ultimate goal is for people to see that God is real and for them to give him thanks and worship. It's, it's, for, it's for people that you give to or that you serve or that you're generous with, for them to see that God is real and that he's alive. It's a gospel thing. Now listen to verse 11 through 15. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See that? When you are enriched to give, thanksgiving is going to go to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Isn't that beautiful? By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them, for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So it's like the, the, the grace word is embedded in all of this. So God gives to us, charis, gifts. He gives to us. Then remember the charismatic gifts? We were talking about that. God gives you a gift to give to others and you give to others. And then Eucharist, the word they use for giving thanks to God, this is the word that's there. It's a cycle of giving and of thanksgiving and of grace. God gives to me, I give to others, they give thanks to God. And then you have not lived in vain. Think about that. God gives to me, I give to others, they give thanks to God. God gives to me, I give to others, they give thanks to God. God is glorified. This is the way we accompany the gospel with gifts and kindness and good works and good deeds. We give the gospel, but like the seed of the gospel is embedded in the soil of good works. That's what a church does. That's what God wants a church to gather together to do, to follow Jesus, to be givers like he gave to us, and to embed the truth of the gospel into the hearts of other people. You may have noticed this week, the new, the, it hit the news that a young man from Washington, a young guy, 23, I think, years old, John Chow, he was an adventurous young man that wanted to give the gospel to people. He would take his kayak in places all around the world, and he would go into groups, and he would give the gospel. And he heard about a group off the coast of India, and he decided that he would take his, and this was a very hostile group, and he decided that he would take his kayak. He hired some fishermen to take him out, and he took his kayak, and he kayaked out to this island, and they shot at him. One of the little boys shot him with an arrow, it hit his Bible. So he retreated. The next day he got up and he prayed again and he wrote in his journal and he went back and they killed him. And now all over the world, people are saying he was a fool. All over the world, people who don't know God, who don't believe in heaven, who don't believe in hell, who don't believe that eternal souls will be damned without a gospel message are mocking this young man. But you know what he's doing right now? He's preparing to receive his reward forever from the Lord. He's in eternal bliss, the presence of the Lord. He died a martyr's death, and one day he will be rewarded a martyr's crown. Me, I would have said, I have trouble getting into kayaks. Those things are small. <laughs> if they shoot me with an arrow, I might form a committee to decide a safer way to go back. This kid just said, I'm going to go back, and I don't want to die. But if I die, you know, I just have a feeling God has chosen to redeem some of those people on that island. And I have a feeling this story is not over. I have a feeling that John's laying down his life, sowing the seed of his blood on that soil, is going to come to people from that 
people group around the throne of heaven among the tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. Nobody will be calling John a fool then. I just wondered when I read that, well, maybe I ought to go across the street to my neighbor and make sure that he doesn't die and go to hell. Maybe I should do something kind. I don't think he's going to shoot me if I go over there. Maybe I should make some effort to pray for him or to love him. Maybe it would be especially good if I just gave him a gift. See, I gave him a gift. Maybe if I was generous with him and I gave him something, maybe that would sweeten his spirit and maybe he'd be more open to my Jesus. That's what this passage is saying. This Lonnie Riley is the name of the fellow that was the pastor that went from Mississippi to Lynch, Kentucky. And if you go to Lynch, Kentucky, I guess there's all kinds of benevolent ministries and churches that have been planted out of the obedience of this fellow's life. And on on the tape, he told another story that I'll share with you. He said that he was downtown once and there was a World War II veteran, an African-American man who was a World War II veteran, and he had a tarp over the top of his house. And the pastor said, you know, um, I think it would be it would be nice if we could put a roof on your house. And the, and the guy said, well, why would you do something like that? And he said, well, the reason is because we love Jesus and Jesus loves you and because we want you to understand that Jesus loves you. And the guy just couldn't get that through his head. He said to the guy, he says, I tell you what I want you to do. He goes, I don't have any shingles. But he says, if I get shingles, I can get somebody here to put a roof on your house. So if you would pray with me that God will provide shingles. So they said, okay. Not long after they got a call from uh, a woman, and he gave her name on the tape, and she said, I wonder if you have any need for shingles. And she literally says, I have, I want to donate these, and it's a semi-trailer full of shingles. And she says, I can't, I can't get them there, but I can donate them if you can arrange to get them there. And then he prayed. And then uh, he said, somebody called him from Western Kentucky and said, the Lord put you on my heart. I wonder if there's anything that you need. And he says, well, the thing we're looking for right now is we need trucking for some shingles to go from Georgia to here. And he goes, well, let me, let me look into that. I got a guy in my church. He's a new convert. And I know his dad is, has a trucking company. Well, let me ask. So he asked this young guy who was a new convert. And he said, well, yeah, my dad has a trucking company, but he's an unbeliever and he lives in California. But I'll call him. So he called his dad. And his dad says, I like the sound of that. So he drove or had somebody drive from California to Georgia, pick up a a whole semi-tractor trailer load of shingles and took them down there to put the roof on houses all over town. Why is that? Because God searching the earth for people who have generous souls so that he can show his power through people with generous souls. So he can show his goodness through people with generous souls. So he can give his gospel through churches that have generous souls. This is going to make you want to be a generous soul. How many of you would just lift up your hand right now and say, I'd like to be a generous soul. I'd like to be a generous soul. God sees your hand. Can I, can I suggest something? We're going to sing and we're going to go home today. And here's what I hope is ringing in your heart. I hope that maybe in your own way, as a person or as a couple or as a kid, that you would all find a place to get down on your knees and just say to God, God, if what the, what, you know, I heard a passage from your word today. Seems to me like you want me to be a generous soul. Help me. I, I ask you forgiveness for being hoarding or fear, afraid or selfish or thoughtless. And I want to ask you to make me a generous soul. And so I'm going to pray. Maybe you can pray with me while I pray. Before I quit, you know, I, you know it, might, it might be that you're here and you are not certain. You know the Lord is your Savior. And like all that we're talking 
about today could be true about you, but it is not true now. Not until you become a child of God. And then you get to be a part of his work. And I'm pleading with you to come to the Lord. And to say, come and talk with us. There'll be people here to pray uh, after the service. You can come up and talk with them. Set up an appointment with me. If you're a lady, we'll get you with a lady that can sit down with you. Explain how you can be a Jesus follower. You get to be a part of the exciting adventure of being a Jesus follower. But church, can I just say, let's just ask God in a gentle way. Lord, make me a generous soul. Make me a generous soul. Pray with me. Stand and we're going to pray. Then we're going to sing. Stand with me. We're going to pray together. Then we'll sing. Father in heaven, I really thank you for all that you have done to supply our needs, all that you have done to supply the times that we've tried to do something for you and you've made funds available to do that for years of, of ministry and raising a family and, and uh, all the stuff that, that we have needed, you've provided and you've been very faithful. Lord, I even thank you of times of need and poverty that make us cry out to you. And that way it was through that that our children saw that you're the one true God and that you answer prayer. Lord, help us, I pray, to be generous souls. In Christ's name we pray, amen.